Hey guys, how y'all doing? Did anybody understand that? One person, all right, you're the only person in the past three services. So huge uh, shout out to uh, Carlos, Carlos Gonzalez for doing that voiceover. Um, So excited, man, I love that dude. Uh, He's amazing. So anyway, my name is Chris and I just want to welcome everybody that's in the room or if you're over in the video theater or watching this on Facebook Live or Church Online. Uh, Again, my name is Chris and I'm so glad to be with you guys. If this is your home church uh, or if this is the first time you've ever been to church, Man, we just want to say welcome home. Uh, you're among friends. You're among people who are, are pretty jacked up. i got to be honest with you. So if you're jacked up, welcome home. If you're perfect, you need to get out now. So anyway, um, we're in the middle of this series, but honestly, it's way bigger than a series called Four Clarksville. And it's based around a verse, the most popular Bible verse uh, that people know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting and eternal life. That's John 3.16. So what 4 Clarksville is all about, what we're doing here, is we want to change the way people, not in church, view the church. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, it's by doing good in our community and practicing no-strings-attached generosity. We talked a lot about this last week, about doing good in our community, how we're all called to serve and to do good and to live a questionable life. Now, that's kind of weird when I say questionable life. It just means live your life in such a way that you're loving on people and serving them so well that they, they want to ask the question, why are you doing this? This isn't normal. So live that questionable life, and that way you can tell them. Today, we're talking, going to look at specifically about inviting our friends, investing in our friends, investing in our neighbors, investing in our communities, our families, investing in our county, investing in them, pouring in them so that we're earning the right to be heard, so that we're earning the right to share our story and to share about Jesus. Unfortunately for most churches... And most Christians, when we interact with people who are outside the church, who don't share our values and don't understand our stories and all this stuff, who don't share our worldviews, unfortunately, where we begin and where we end are something that's pretty cheap, and that's just with words only. Where we begin and where we end is with words. Talk. We'll mention Bible verses, and we'll quote Bible verses like John 3.16, or Romans 3.23, or Romans 6.23, or Romans 10.9 and 10, or John 17.9, or um, uh, John uh, 14.3, or, uh, and it's like, and, and what we're doing is we're just giving a bunch of words. But what I love about that John 3.16 verse is that Jesus, God never just began with words. In fact, let's look at it again. For God so love the world that he did what? He gave. You see, before God started with words, he started with actions, and that was giving his one and only son, Jesus. That's our big idea today. You don't start by saying anything. You start by doing something. You don't start by saying anything. You start by doing something. I believe that if we as Christians and if we as churches could embrace this big idea that we we act before we speak, that we love before we open our mouths, that this has the power to change our communities and to change our world, and it can change Clarksville. I totally believe in that. But there's some tension here. And this tension we're going to see is found in the letter written to Colossians. So if you have your Bible or download the Bible app, we give away Bibles for free here. Uh, Let's turn and let's look at Colossians. Colossians is not a book. 
It's actually a letter. And it was written by the Apostle Paul, whose life was changed when Jesus Christ came into his life. And Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and of all the churches he's written to, Colossae really is the smallest community. It used to be big in its heyday and used to be important, but now it's kind of over the hump. And the interstate and the traveling routes have kind of circumvented Colossae. And now they're just kind of this small town feel. And yet, Paul, as he's writing this letter to them, really does show us something that's so unbelievably important. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. He says this, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. See, Paul is saying, pray so that we can be able to talk about my faith, the faith that really put him in chains. And he continues, pray that I may, what? Proclaim it clearly as I should. I got to be honest with you, this is one of our core values here at One Church TV. We want to, we want to, we believe that found people find people and that we want to invest in people and so that we can invite them to church. And that I love that about our church. But in verse 5, the next verse, Paul gives us as Christians some advice on how we are to engage with people who are church people, who are not church people, and don't go to church. This is what he says, verse 5. But be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every what? opportunity. Paul says if you want to earn the right to be heard and the right to influence people who don't believe or don't behave like Jesus, then you need to live your life in such a way that it earns you credibility, street cred, with those who may not agree with what you say. Paul says that if you don't start with words, Paul's saying, you need to start with actions. You don't start by saying anything, you start by doing something. The first step in making the most of your opportunity with any person is not by, listen to this, telling them what you think. It's by showing them that you care. You probably heard this. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Exactly right. And that is true. You see, we as Christians, we want to tell them what we know. But we've not earned the right to be heard we, they must know that we care, and that happens uh, when we live wisely and, and make most of every opportunity. I like this because Paul, in the previous chapter, really does explain how this happens. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, listen to what Paul writes. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So in other words, people who know Jesus. This is what you should do. Clothe yourselves. How many of y'all are glad that everybody clothed themselves this morning? Right? I mean, hallelujah over there. Exactly right. So, I mean, and honestly, we, we make a big deal on how we clothe ourselves, don't we? So, um, we get the best name brands that we can afford. I remember when I was growing up, Banana Republic was the thing. You could get a white t-shirt, a plain white t-shirt in there for about 38 bucks for the bargain price. Of $38. And I tell you, I don't do a good job clothing sometimes because my wife is in Arizona. She's leading worship at a PWOC retreat in uh, Fort Huachuca. So I left this morning and I did not get approval of my wife of what I was wearing. So, but I think I did okay. But if you don't think so, don't judge me. 
Anyway, but here's the thing. It's not just about clothing ourselves with clothes. Paul says, no, it goes beyond that. That you are to clothe yourselves with, what's the very first one? Compassion. And in this list of five things that he tells us, he starts that you need to begin with compassion. If you want to earn the right to be heard, we need to start by showing them compassion. Showing other people compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is simply putting yourself in their place. It's, it, it's walking in their shoes. Many times where the church begins or where Christians begins it, it is with condemnation. You, we point fingers and we wag our fingers and we, we tell people how they don't measure up. And you may totally disagree with how they believe or what they believe or how they behave. But before you give them facts, before you state your opinion, and definitely before you speak the truth... Paul says, no, 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 we need to start with compassion. We need to start by putting yourself in the place, in, in, in their place, and seeing life from the way they see life. You need to put yourself in their shoes and feel what they feel. You need to slow down, and you need to listen to their story before you share yours. Honestly, what if you and I took the time to try to understand their point of view and how they got to where they are and why they chose to behave and believe the way they do, it might change the tone of what we say and how we say it. It might change what you think is worth saying and what's not quite necessary. Paul says, in order to be wise and how you act means that you, you need to put yourself in their shoes and you need to show them compassion. Let's keep on reading Colossians 3.12. Therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion. And what's the second one? Kindness. So what is kindness? Some of you, you are full of kindness because you never show any. Right? <laughs> kindness is simply coming alongside someone and doing something to help them carry their load. Kindness is entering into the life of someone and saying, what can I do to help? We may not agree on some things, and we can talk about that later, but right now I care more about you than I care just about you agreeing with me. What can I do to help? How different, again, would our world be if the church just got these first two right? Compassion and kindness. If we led with that, because Paul is saying, don't start by saying something, start by doing something. Compassion, kindness, let's keep on reading. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and what's the next one? It is humility. Now, we got some really weird, jacked-up definitions of humility. People think, in order to be humble, I need to be self-deprecating. I need to, like, beat up on myself. and I can't be good at anything. That's not what it means to be humble. Humility is simply putting the needs of another person before my own. That's all it is. Putting the needs of another person before my own. Many times, again, when we speak with people who don't share our beliefs, don't share our values or worldview, we heap on convictions. We heap on, hey, you need to do what I do, and you need to believe how I believe. Um, but notice, Jesus never started there. He started with humility. He modeled it for us. Mark 10, 45, Jesus has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, did not consider God uh, consider his equality with God, but he came and he was a servant. You see, 
we show people that God is for them by how well we serve them. One of the reason, main reasons why Christians have lost their right to be heard and their voice in our culture is because we, we are seen as arrogant and we're seen as know-it-alls and we're not humble. Humility changes the nature of a relationship, doesn't it? Any of y'all have ever tried arguing with somebody who's humble? It's pretty frustrating, isn't it? They won't engage with you. Honestly, it's hard to dislike somebody who's humble. In fact, by the way, if you're the type of person who's always arguing with people, then you're the opposite of humble. You're arrogant. You're prideful. If we would just practice this one characteristic, it really would change how people view the church. Because honestly, most people, the reason why they don't like Christians in the church is because we're seen as we have truth and we're willing to beat you up with it. All right? Look at this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility. And what's that fourth one? Gentleness. Many times when we speak with people who don't share our beliefs and values, we confront We confront with people. We have confrontations. But maybe where we need to begin is with gentleness. What is gentleness? Gentleness is simply treating the other person as if they have infinite worth. When I value someone as much as God does, it changes the way I communicate with them. I mean, you won't be harsh with someone you value, right? You won't be demeaning with someone you believe matters infinitely to God. Even if you disagree with them, you will treat them with gentleness because that's what they deserve. Let me just stop right here. If some of you are married and you're treating your spouse harshly, you're demeaning to them, you're not being gentle, and you're not treating them the way Jesus Christ asked you to treat them. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, how? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus Christ give himself up? He was crucified on the cross. You see, so if you're a real man, and I'm going to get in your grill this morning, you don't demean and you don't yell at her. You love her like Christ loved the church. Keep on going. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and this last one is patience. Oh, don't ever pray to God to give you more patience. Because he will do that immediately, right? He will send you, he will, your two-year-old will do something crazy. Your teenager will do something nuts. Or you will begin on the interstate between here and Nashville. Dear Jesus, right? But let me tell you what patience is. Patience is moving at the speed of the other person. Patience means I don't demand you change at the pace I want you to change. That I'm going to love you as long as as it takes. I'm going to love you until either God changes you or I leave this earth, but I'm not going to give up on you because you don't change as fast as I think you should be changing. I'll be patient with you, with all of your beliefs and your behaviors for as long as it's necessary. Why? Because this isn't a relationship where I'm trying to convert you. This is a relationship where I'm trying to love you and that love is not conditional upon whether you ever believe like me or not. You see, those five things, uh, kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, all of those, the antithesis of all of those are these. And when we start with any one of these confrontations, if we start with conversions, trying to have conversion attempts, if we start with convictions or condemnation, you and I will lose influence. 
We will lose influence. It's the reason why people don't want to listen to us today because we haven't earned the right to be heard. Back to Colossians 4.5. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every what? Opportunity. Paul says that we need to be wise in the way we should act around people who don't know Jesus. You don't start by saying anything. You start by doing something. That we should make the most of every opportunity. That you lead with kindness. You lead with compassion. You lead with patience, humility, gentleness. And verse 6 tells us how to make the most of every opportunity. Paul encourages us not to start with convictions or condemnation. Look at what it says in verse 6. Let your conversation. If you start with anything other than conversation centered around compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility, Paul just says, stop. Don't go any further. If you're not willing to build a relationship with that person, if you've not reached a point where you, you've been able to show them compassion, you've been able to show them kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, then you are in no position to say anything to them. Why did Paul write the word conversation? You know, if I was written, writing this, I would have said, let your talk. But that's not what he says. He says, let your conversation. Conversation is different than talking. You know that? You see, talking you have one mouth and you have two ears, and my mama always said you need to listen twice as much as you speak. You see, conversation isn't just talking, it's listening, and, and it's conversing, it's talking. It's doing a lot of listening. The, uh, really, conversation is a journey of talking and communicating. Conversations take a long time, and they span a, 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 have a span of time. A lot of people, uh, have conversations have beginnings, but they not all have endings. Conversa conversations happen with people, not at people. You see, conversation is really the journey of talking, and conversation is the key to connection. You see, if the church will have more conversations and less confrontations and less condemnation, people will want to listen to us. Confronta confrontations, convictions, they don't create connections. They create walls that people slam up against. But what a conversation does is it builds a bridge so that we can be able to share with them the love of Jesus. And look at the second part of this verse. He says, let your conversations be always full of what? And season with what? Now, let me just stop right here. He says, your conversation, when you talk to an outsider, it needs to have two parts. And one of these parts, the church is really, really, really good at. I mean, we stand and we're like, yeah. And I mean, we're really good at one of these and we absolutely stink at another one of these. Let's start with the one that we're good at. And that is with salt. We understand that. We talked last week that in the first century, salt was extremely important because it was used as a preservative. Because salt, when packed around food products, kept the food from corrupting. So in our context, when Paul says our conversations must be seasoned with salt, what he's getting at and suggesting is that our conversations should have an element of truth. 
an element of insight. Think about it. Just like salt, truth preserves. Truth prevents corruption. Truth makes things a little bit better in your life. Truth makes things a little bit uh, nicer in your life. Truth makes things our life a little easier if you think about it. That is why as Christians, we want to lead with truth. As Christians, we look around the world and we see all these people that are messed up and jacked up, right? And we know the truth has helped us greatly. So what we want to do is take a big dump truck filled with truth and back it up boop, 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 and dump truth on them. And we, then we wonder, why? how come they don't like us that much? Well, it's like this. Salt. Let's talk about salt. Here's salt. This picture behind me is salt out of a salt shaker. How many of y'all, you've ever went to a restaurant or maybe you were at summer camp or something and you had your food and you got the salt shaker and you were just going to do a little dash, a little sprinkle, and some person, some evil corrupt person before you went and kind of barely unscrewed the salt shaker and it dumped all over your plate. How many of y'all, that's happened to you? Let me see you. All right, now, let's tell the truth, shame the devil. How many of y'all, you were the one that was undoing the salt? That was me, Right? So that was me. I was so jacked up, and I'm the preacher. So, I mean, I, I, here's the thing about that. It's, it's funny when it happens to somebody else, isn't it? But when it happens to you, and you're hungry, and your food is ruined, it's not that funny anymore. Nobody wants to eat that food anymore. Why? Because it tastes nasty. There's too much salt. It's too much. It's the reason why Paul writes, let your conversation always be full of grace, but seasoned with salt. The Greek word for season is the word arturo, and it's a cooking term, and it means the skillful use of condiments and spice to make food tasty. I can see uh, Alton Brown or Bobby Flay on Chopped doing some arturo, doing the salt bay, Right? And, and, and I mean making it taste good. I don't think Bobby Flay would ever take a whole salt shaker and just dump it in there because it would ruin the food. You see, salt sprinkled always makes food taste better. But have you ever tried eating a bowl of salt? Ugh, right? It's nasty. It's disgusting. Salt by itself really isn't that helpful. Salt by itself really isn't that enjoyable. But salt used as seasoning... Ah, that's good. You see, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine, right? You know that, thank you. But a spoonful of salt will end you up in the hospital, taking blood pressure medication, right? It just will. So salt is helpful, salt preserves, salt adds taste and value, but salt by itself is kind of gross. That's why Paul is suggesting Paul is saying instead of leading with salt, instead of leading with truth and leading with salt, we should season with salt. We should season with truth. Paul isn't saying avoid the truth. That's not what he's saying. But he is suggesting that you only sprinkle the salt. If you're hoping to reach a person's heart and to see their lives changed, you're, you can't lead with salt. And you can't dump truth. You need to lead with something else. Let's go back to that verse. Let your conversations always be what? Full of grace. There it is. We're not that good at that as Christians. We're good at dumping truth, but grace, not so much. What is grace? Well, grace is an undeserved gift. 
something that is given to you that you didn't deserve, which is partially the reason why it's so confusing. It doesn't make sense. You see, fairness is getting what you deserve. If you did the work on the homework and you deserve a B, then you should get the 88. You should get the B. But see, grace is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting exactly what you don't deserve. Grace is unmerited favor, undeserved, freely given favor. That's why it makes it's just so confusing to understand. Have you ever seen grace doled out in our society these days? It's not much. You ever seen the police officer pull somebody over and say, hey, I'd like to just give you a little bit of grace? That doesn't happen, does it? Or have you ever heard of Harvard, Harvard University, writing a letter to a mediocre 2.1 GPA student who made a 200 on the SAT and say, you know what, we're feeling a little bit graceful today. We want to offer you into Harvard and we're going to give you a full ride scholarship. That doesn't happen, does it? But can you and I imagine a world that was operated by grace? Let's make it smaller than that. Imagine what your home would be like if you operated it by grace. What would your marriage be like? How would you parent your children? How would you love your spouse? Uh, Not just when they're lovable, but you choose to love them even when they're unlovable. They would be so confused by that, but they would be drawn to that, wouldn't they? You see, I don't know what your church background is. But for some of you, you went to a church that that grace wasn't the primary thing you experienced. The church can be a place where we say grace, but we don't show a lot of grace. The church should be a grace factory, but many times the church just settles for being a salt mine. Somebody needs to tweet that, by the way. All right. The church is really concerned with salt, really concerned about truth, concerned with rules and do's and don'ts. But if the church could get just as concerned about showing everybody love and grace, no matter their beliefs, no matter their behavior, that you can just belong with us. That could change the world. And the reason why I know it could is because it did 2,000 years ago. And it could change it again. I want want to let you watch a short video of a, of a couple by the name of Brian and Jen Hatmaker. They used to have a reality television show. And they talk, uh, talk a lot about showing what grace looks like and what it means to be a good neighbor. Watch this, if you will. And, uh, and talk specifically about how you guys have chosen to neighbor, in a sense. How you've chosen to create this uncommon fellowship in your circle. And if you don't know, Brandon has been a pastor. Uh, you both have passed part of your church, a local church, and has, have made some moves over the last 15, 20 years in different ways and, and continue to evolve and what that looks like for you, this fellowship, this community. Let's talk about how you guys, as a family, choose to neighbor. What does that look like? Yeah, so we kind of found ourselves in a place um, in church leadership where we both had this aha moment where we realized we were so busy on our church campus that we didn't know our neighbors, our actual neighbors. We were so busy on our church campus serving safe people that we had no space in our life um, really invested in those that maybe didn't know Christ. In fact, I would think about 100% of my relationships were with my staff and with their families and with my main volunteers because I was investing in them to do something for me. Yeah. And I, I, I loved them, but I, I had no space for people who were far from Christ. 
And we were so busy on our church campus really serving the rich that we had no time or space in our life to go out and serve uh, those on the margins or those who maybe didn't have as much. And so you find yourself in church leadership and, and you don't really know your neighbors. Um, you don't really know anybody far from Christ. And you don't really spend time with anyone on the margins. That's, if you've read the New Testament, that doesn't really line up. And so that was pretty indicting for us. And so the first thing was just to kind of step away and go, God, where, where, do, where do we go with this? Yeah. Right. We talked yesterday in our, in our breakout about this, but I think our approach, um, as we sort of said, let's, let's re-engage. Let's get back into real life. Let's get back on the street we live on and in the neighborhood we live in and in our community and in our kids' schools. And I think our entire approach was really radical. And the approach was, don't be weirdos. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, how about we just are normal and fun people um, who act like regular good neighbors? So that was our revolutionary approach. Right. We are normal and fun, obviously. We did radical things like invited our neighbor to dinner. We did. In our actual homes. We did that thing. And we had book clubs and we had poker nights and we threw neighborhood parties. We're not she had poker people. nights. <laughs> it's with like peanuts and M&M's. Uh, clearly, and I get don't it. hate it's on the fair. poker, you just guys. Do what the you game. Do. Um, and so we just decided um, that we were never, ever going to treat anybody that we loved, our neighbors, our friends, our community, like a project or an agenda, because that is crap. Oh, can we say crap? Sure. List? Okay. Sure. I feel good. Um, and that they are not projects, they are people. And so we kind of asked the question, if Jesus said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, we're like, well, what would a good neighbor do? Like, how about start there? Um, A good neighbor is a fun person. A good neighbor is a good person. A good neighbor is fun to be around. A good neighbor loves you and cares for you exactly where you're at. Um, And so that is sort of how we approached neighboring, and it honestly changed our lives. It changed our family. Um, it, It certainly shaped and changed our church. Um, and so we would prefer, from a church leadership standpoint, that our people spend way less time doing churchy things on the church campus with church people and way more time investing in their neighbors. That's our preference. Yeah, it's good. I totally agree with everything that they said. You know, what if we as Christians, we just made it our goal not to be weirdos, Right? You ever met somebody, and, I, and I've talked to people like, I don't know if I really want to become a Christian. Why? Because i got to change my personality, and i got to change everything about me, and I don't want to be weird. And I don't think we have to be weird, right? Um, I, I, I think God calls us to holiness, and that means we live a unique lifestyle, but that doesn't mean we're, that doesn't mean we're crazy people, Right? I mean, I like just hearing, they were just so real, and they did book clubs and poker nights, and they just invited people to their house, and that's what I'm challenging you guys to do this week. I'm challenging you this week, when it comes to your neighborhood, when it comes to your community, when it comes to your house, my challenge for you is to get to know your neighbors. Remember this, won't you be my Get to know your neighbors. Why? Because you can't love who you don't know. You know, Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. But if you don't know their name, 
right? If you don't know who they are, you're never going to be able to love who you don't know. Before you can talk about Jesus, before you can tell them that God loves them, you just need to start by getting to know them. Why? Because it's not about saying something. It starts with doing something. Kindness, compassion, gentleness, humility, patience. I love that. So here's what I'm going to challenge you. Over the next two weeks, invite somebody to your house for dinner. And yeah, I know you may, your house may not be perfect. Mine's not. But open up your front door. Invite them over. Let them see the real you. Right? Uh, get on your phone and text somebody that you need to cultivate a relationship with. Wherever you do life. Whether if it's at a Starbucks with the barista or at a restaurant, or maybe your kids are heavily involved in soccer or, um, or baseball, Little League Baseball, then when you show up, just be Jesus to them. Get to know them. Get to know their first names. Get to hang out with them. Even when it's not your turn to bring the desserts or drinks uh, for soccer, you show up with desserts and drinks, not just for the kids, but for the parents. That you go over and above live, living that questionable life. So here's what we're going to do. We've created a visual. that uh, It's a living piece of art. It's a tool so that you can see how one person at a time can change a community. And this living piece of art is four. By the way, everybody say hello to Seth. Um, uh, Seth's wonderful wife, Lene, uh, did this uh, art piece. And here's what we're going to ask you guys to do. Is this is going to be out in our foyer uh, for next Sunday from on, you know pretty much on. And anytime you do something kind for an individual, anytime you pay it backward, anytime you invite somebody over to your house, anytime that you show Jesus and, and you be Jesus to someone, what we're going to ask you to do is there's going to be there's going to be threads out there. We want you to take that piece of thread and we want you to put it in the bowl. And during the week. Uh, somebody who's much way more creative than I am is going to start connecting the dots. And you see, what's so cool about this, we're going to be able to see how our community is going to be so interwoven and interconnected because you love them. You started not by saying something, but you started by random acts of kindness. You started doing something for them. So my challenge is to do good. To do good. And when you do that, show up next Sunday and drop uh, that thread in there, and we'll do that. How many of y'all can do this? Yeah, you guys are great. Let's do this. Let's connect the dots so that people can see Jesus and his love. I totally believe that. God, we love you. I thank you so much, God, that we can come here today. And the reason why we're here today, some people may think it was an accident, that you've, the church is not your thing, you just showed up, but God, there is no coincidences and there are no accidents. Everybody's here this morning who should have been here and would have been here. And God, the reason why they're here is because you love them. For God so loved us. God loved and God gave. And Lord, I like what the end of that verse says, that if we would believe, we could receive eternal life. God, if there's anyone in here today that needs to believe and that needs to receive and to begin that relationship, I pray that they would do that now. They would just come clean and be real. They don't have to say it a certain way or anything. It's not that. It's just it's the beginning of a relationship. It's a conversation. We love you, Jesus Christ. 
It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you for coming today. Y'all have a good time? Awesome. Very good. Guys, let's all stand up. Go be the church and go be for Clarksville. Thank y'all.